Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Really, really cool to watch the Nationals win their first World Series in franchise history last night. I was tuned into Game 7, the Nationals uh, winning 6-2 to two over the Astros. Kind of stunning, that home crowd in Houston. Really, really odd. I don't know if we'll ever see uh, a World Series again where the home team doesn't win a single game. Not a single game. Really odd. I don't know if I'm going to see that again. Really cool to watch the Nationals win. Right up until the final couple of innings last night, I, I still hadn't really decided who I was cheering for. I didn't know who I wanted to see win. I, I was kind of happy to see both teams succeed. When the Nationals took the lead, I, I kind of started to think, okay, it would be pretty cool to see the Nationals win their first World Series. Watch Max Scherzer win a World Series. Former logger, by the way. We get to take credit for uh, for last night a little bit. Former lacrosse logger. I didn't really know who I was pulling for, right? The Nationals are that hot small market team. The Astros are, are the super team, but I kind of like the Astros. I really don't have anything against Justin Verlander or certainly not Zach Greinke, Right? By the end, I'm like, yeah, I, th- I think, how awesome would this be to see the Nationals win? Not saying I'm bandwagoning, right? Not saying I waited until the Nationals were about to win to say I'm cheering for the uh, the Nationals. But that's kind of how it shook out. Maybe I'm a bandwagon fan. Pretty cool last night to see the Nationals win the first World Series in their franchise history. Congrats to the Nationals and congrats to Max Scherzer, the former logger, uh, who the Brewers were able to do a little bit of damage off going back to the wild card game. Uh, man, he was a warrior. He was a warrior through the postseason. He couldn't lift his arm a couple of days ago. Did you listen to that press conference? Saying it hurt so bad he could barely get out of bed. He could barely lift, let alone bend his arm or even pitch. Really cool story for the former logger, Max Scherzer, and for the rest of the Nationals as well. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. We are going to talk about the World Series a little bit today. Uh, I want to talk Brewers. Packers. I want to talk Bucks. We're really going to cover it all today. All of the Wisconsin sports. The clean sweep. Right. Hope you're having an awesome night. Thanks for tuning in. You can join me 608-796-2558. That's the five star telecom talk and text line. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. Love to talk sports. Shoot me a tweet as well at Keystroker Grant or you can tweet all of us at WKTY. So no home team won a game in this World Series. Nationals win the first two in Houston. The Astros rattle off three in a row in Washington, D.C., and the Nationals win the final two games in Houston. Really odd. Don't know if I'm ever going to see that again. And and come to think of it, this postseason as a whole was kind of odd. It was kind of weird. You look back and you say, okay, this team beat this team. This is how this shook out. And you kind of go, huh? What? First of all, the Astros won 107 games this year. And the Nationals were the team to beat them? Right when the postseason starts. Let's go back a couple of weeks ago and, and try to forget everything we just saw. Let's put ourselves back. Uh, what would have been that Monday night before the postseason started, right before the Brewers and the Nationals played that All-Star game. Forget everything we know now. The Astros would be favored, right, just because of that absolute super team starting rotation. Uh, A couple MVP caliber players in Altuve and Bregman and Correa and Springer, and the list goes on and on. And they've been there, done that before. A.J. Hinch has World Series experience. The Astros are the favorites. But that doesn't mean they were necessarily going to walk their way to a World Series championship. So, Going back a couple of weeks ago, who would you have picked? If, if I told you the Astros are going to get beaten, who would you have said is going to be the team to take them out, right? Probably the Dodgers. 
right? I think that's probably answer number one. Maybe the Cardinals, just because of the organization, just because of Yadier Molina, they're the Cardinals, right? I would never doubt the Cardinals. The Yankees, Yankees are really talented, right? Got a good bullpen, a couple good starting pitchers, a couple big home run hitters, right? Good team. All right, Yankees beat Yankees beat the Astros. All right, fine. I, I, I can believe that. But the Nationals? The Nationals. And when you think about it, the Nationals beat a 107-win Astros team and a 106-win Dodgers team. The Nationals in the postseason went 5-0 and in elimination games. They won their last eight postseason road games, and they went 4-0 and on the road in the World Series. Oh, my God. The Nationals were kind of the team of destiny, but, man, they kind of took matters into their own hands. They said, all right, we're not going to lose on the road. We're not going to lose in elimination games. We are going to will ourselves to a World Series championship. That's exactly what they did. What a weird, what a weird postseason. And that doesn't, I, man, I'm not saying that as a slight to the Nationals to take anything away from the Nationals. Not at all. I'm just saying when the postseason started, if somebody would have told you that the Astros weren't going to be the World Series champs, the Nationals would have been near the bottom of teams you would have picked, right? You would have said, all right, must be the Dodgers. Or it must be the Cardinals or at least the Yankees, right? No, the Nationals. Nationals beat a 106-win Dodgers team and a 107-win Astros team. Won their last eight postseason road games and went 4-0 and on the road. Man, oh man. That's really, really impressive. Right? You can, you can say that the Nationals were the smaller market, the team of destiny, the hot team, but they just went, they just went and got it. They just went and got it. They did it themselves. Really, really impressive postseason run for the Nationals. And that's, once again, taking nothing away from how good their team is, right? They have three fantastic pitchers. Max Scherzer, former logger, by the way. Once again, we get to take a little bit of credit for last night. Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, who might be the best postseason starting pitcher in my lifetime, if one of the best ever, right? Certainly in this era. And Patrick Corbin, who is incredible as well, who they used last night. Juan Soto is the real deal. He's 21 years old, and he is the real deal. What a great postseason for him, going all the way back to that wild card game against the Brewers. And, of course, Anthony Rendon, who's probably, probably going to finish third in the MVP voting. I think it'll go Yelich, Bellinger, Rendon, or Bellinger, Yelich, Rendon. Not quite sure, but, they, I mean, I, Anthony Rendon will take his ring, right? He'll, he'll take that World Series ring over an MVP, I think. I don't want to speak for the guy, but I would imagine. Three aces, Scherzer, Corbin, Strasburg, once again, won a former logger. Got to mention that every single time. Juan Soto, who is their young and, and rising and upcoming star, who is tremendous in the postseason. Hey, say what you want about Keston Hira, but in that playoff game, the stage looked a little bit too big for him. The moment looked a little bit too big for him. And I'm not blaming him, right? But that just speaks to how good Juan Soto is at 21 years old having the postseason that he had and playing like he did last night in the World Series with a, with a big hit or two. Wow. And then, of course, Anthony Rendon. And you want to talk about Jordan Zimmerman, their veteran as well. I mean, that maybe the Nationals, maybe they are the team everybody overlooked. When you piece them out, sure, they didn't win 106 or 107 games like the Dodgers or the Astros. And sure, they're not in a huge market like Houston or L.A. or New York. But all right, look at their players. Look at their rotation. That's yeah, a, a pretty good team. It's a really good team. Kudos to them. Big congrats to them for basically just taking control of their own destiny. People are going to call them the team of destiny. Well, part of that is you got to control your own destiny. And they did that. Winning on the road, not losing in elimination games, obviously. And going up against two juggernauts that no one gave them a chance against and getting the job done. 
Once again, we're going to talk the Bucks today. We're going to talk about the Packers. But next, I actually want to talk about the Brewers. What did last night's game in the World Series and the postseason as a whole tell us about the Brewers? Because remember, the Nationals had never won a World Series in their history up until last night. The Brewers have yet to do it. So the Brewers and Brewers fans last night had to watch yet another franchise win their first World Series. Brewers on that shorter and shorter list of teams who have never done it. And you got to think that Championship window for the Brewers is the next couple of years. As long as Christian Yelich is in Milwaukee and as long as Josh Hader is Josh Hader, they got a shot. What did this series, what did the postseason, and, and what, what can we learn from the Nationals, right? What did the Brewers learn these last couple of weeks? I got some ideas. I want to hear yours as well. 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text. We're talking Brewers, and we're talking maybe what they can do better next year, what they can learn from 2019 and the postseason run that that Never happened. That coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. Back in a moment here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having an awesome night. Happy Halloween. By the way, happy Halloween and a big congratulations, kudos, job well done to the Washington Nationals. They knocked off the Houston Astros, who nobody thought, nobody thought was getting beat. They also knocked off the Dodgers, who nobody thought was getting beat. Couple pretty impressive notches in the belt uh, if you're the Washington Nationals and former logger Max Scherzer getting it done as well. Big shout out, former logger. I'm going to mention that as many times as I possibly can today. And it's pretty crazy when you think all the way back to May, the Nationals were as far under 500. They were 19 and 31. 19 and 31. And, and, and an interesting tidbit that I keep seeing on Twitter, you can follow me at Keystroker Grant. I keep seeing this. At 19 and 31, they were as far under 500 as the Tigers. The Tigers lost 114 games. The Nationals finished 45 and a half games ahead of the Tigers, and obviously. The rest is history. Went on to win their first World Series in franchise history, which now we know. But back in May, man, thinking about blowing the team up, thinking about the manager and his role, and a couple months later, they're on top of the world and and, and did something that no other Nationals team, Bryce Harper or not, uh, has ever done before, which is pretty cool and, and pretty cool to see the Nationals uh, win their first in their franchise history last night. Now, the Brewers still have not won one in their franchise history. As a member of the American or the National League, in any iteration, the Brewers have not won a championship. Watching last night uh, as another team accomplishes that, accomplishes something the Brewers have been able to do. What could the Brewers learn from this run? What, what could the Brewers learn from this postseason? Right, Watching what the Nationals did, because look, everybody thought the Dodgers were shooing to make the World Series. They won 106 games this year. Everybody thought the Astros were shooing to make and win the World Series at 107 wins. Not how it shook out. Not how it shook out at all. What can the Brewers learn from that? Well, I've been thinking about it all day. I've been kind of marinating on it. I think free agency has a big role to play. You might have seen the news today that Yasmani Grandal declined his $16 million option. So he's going to take the $2.25 million option and become an absolute free agent, right? Thinking back to the spring when he took the one-year deal, he only made $18.25 million this year. Signed the one-year deal. Remember, he passed up that $60 million offer for four years that he got from the Mets. And he had he was tremendous, right? He was great. He was fantastic. And that, you know, that continued 
all the way up into the postseason, right into the wild card game. Remember this? The switch hitting catcher to right and well hit. That ball is out of here. A first inning two-run shot by Grandal. The first pitch he saw from Scherzer goes over the wall and right. And they are stunned here in D.C. I play that, and I bring that up to say this. Put yourself in the mindset of that moment when Yasmani Grandal hits the two-run home run and the Brewers take a 2 to nothing lead over the Washington Nationals in D.C. in that win-or-go-home wildcard game. Feeling on top of the world, feeling like Yasmani Grandal's your favorite Brewer ever, right? So on and so forth. Well, now he's going to be a free agent. Just a couple weeks removed from one of the cooler moments, one of the cooler home runs I've certainly seen in my Brewer's lifetime. I'm only 21, but I don't know. Have they had that many great postseason moments past 20 years ago? Right? They went, what, from 1980 into the mid-2000s? There's not exactly a rich history of awesome playoff moments. Yasmani Grandal, that moment feeling like everybody's favorite Brewer, right? Feels like he's been here for years. Feels like he's never going to leave. Well, that ended up being his last game for the Milwaukee Brewers, at least under that contract. Reds sound like they're interested. I saw a couple of uh, mostly just blogs, you know, kind of just posting conjecture between the Cubs, right, and between the White Sox and and, and the Yankees who are going to have money to spend. Everybody's got money to spend, right? Who's going to throw it at Yasmani Grandal? The Reds were the only legit team I could find that, that seemed like they were actually showing interest. The rest was just conjecture. But plenty of teams are going to be interested in Grandal, especially after that season he, he just put up. Do you want the Brewers to re-sign Yasmani Grandal? Do you? I, I'm asking, by the way, 608-796-2558. Let me know on the five-star telecom talking text line. Now, if you call me or if you text me, let me save you some time here. If you call or text me and you say no, you better have another player or players that you want the Brewers to spend that money on instead. Because here on this show, maybe you're new, so I'll let you know. Here on the show, we are not interested in saving the Brewers money. We're not interested in saving the Packers money or the Bucks money. It's not our money. It's theirs. Right, It's a billionaire owner or owners in the case of the Bucks. If you don't want the Brewers to re-sign Yasmani Grandal, you better have a good reason why. In the form of another player or players in which they should sign and spend that money. 608-796-2558. Thinking about last night and watching the Nationals and the Astros and, and obviously the teams who actually made it deep into the postseason, unlike the Milwaukee Brewers, trying to learn, trying to take anything away from it that I can, and trying to apply that to Yasmani Grandal and eventually Mike Moustakis, who's going to have a free agent decision to make as well. I think the perception at the end of this year, although it was a little bit skewed because the Brewers got hot and made the postseason after a year where it really didn't look like they were postseason worthy, right? Now that doesn't matter because they got hot and they made the wild card game. Can't take that away from them, but... Near, not as nearly good of a team as we saw a year ago, right? It seemed like they had taken a step back. And I think the perception at the end of the year was you're going to have to do a little bit of an overhaul, right? The Brewers weren't even close, certainly not as close as they were in 2018. Need an overhaul, right? You need some changes. Now, I'm not saying blow it up and rebuild, right? I'm not saying dump the coaching staff, dump half the roster, but you need some changes. After 2018, I think Brewers fans, myself included, thought, run it back. Run it back. Right, Corbin Burns is going to get better. Freddie Peralta is going to get better. Keston here is coming up. Run it back. I don't know if I feel the same way after this season. I'm not sure. But I think the Brewers should absolutely re-sign Yasmani Grandal. 
and Mike Moustakis and any other player they can get their hands on. Because look at the Nationals. Did anyone think that team was an amazing team? When the postseason started, was anybody saying, not only, nobody was saying, hey, the Nationals, they're hot, look out, they might make the World Series. Nobody was saying that. Nobody was even giving the Nationals the the old, well, I'd hate to play that team. That's a team you don't want to play in the playoffs, right? Which is kind of sports speak for saying, well, they don't really have a chance, but they might be entertaining. Right? They're not going to be favored in any games, but hey, that would be a fun matchup. If that was my team, I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to come across that team, right? Nobody was even saying that about the Nationals. Nobody was giving the Nats a chance. The Brewers had them dead to rights. No way they're beating the Dodgers. No way they're beating the Cardinals. No way they're beating the Astros. And they did. And they did. And they did. And we kind of summarized, recapped the, the, the Nationals' best players, right? They got three tremendous pitchers in Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Scherzer, former logger, by the way. They have their young star in Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon, their MVP candidate. Compare that to the Brewers. Now, the Brewers don't have three aces, but they have their young star in Keston Hero, although I think he's a Juan Soto light, right? He's not exactly on the same level as Juan Soto, but he's close. They have Anthony Rendon, but better in Christian Yelich. Now, what about the three aces? Right? What about the three aces? Well, Brandon Woodruff might be on the level of a Patrick Corbin, right? He certainly looked as good as Steven Strasburg in the postseason last year. I consider Josh Hader just as valuable as one of those starting pitchers. Now, by my estimation, the Brewers are only one or two players short of what the Nationals were this year. Nationals got hot at the right time. Nationals found their perfect manager, like I believe the Brewers have with Craig Council. They're just one or two players away. I don't think they need a huge overhaul. I don't think they need a huge rebuild. I think they they need to reload. Because I think the Brewers are closer to the Nationals than everybody wants to think. Now, there are a couple of big pieces away, and I think one of those pieces is Yasmani Grandal. The way he stabilized the catching position this year, my goodness. You want to go back to Manny Pena and Jacob Nottingham? Right? You want to call Mark Rivera out of retirement? Get Jonathan Lucroy back? I mean, there's no there's no option after Yasmani Grandal that's nearly close as good. Not even 75-70% as good. This World Series showed us that you just need a couple special players. You just need a few. Grandal's one of those special players. The Brewers have Yelich, Hader, Hira. I'm going to include Brandon Woodruff tentatively in that group for now. I only think they need a couple more. Bringing back Grandal is one, and you need to find a starting pitcher or two. And I think the Brewers are every bit as good as the Nationals were this year. It's just about getting hot at the right time, staying healthy, all those things, right? All the things that small market teams need to do to have a chance. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Tom says, I hope the Brewers know they have plenty of good players but to win the World Series, they will have to spend for free agent talent beyond what they had this season. Resign Yasmani, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Dan says, losing Grandal would be a big blow. I say you sign him for sure within reason. Maybe the more interesting question is, how much do you spend on him? Well, yeah, that's what it's going to come down to. And it's going to be a lot of money. It's going to be a lot. Now, if you want to talk about $41 million versus $44 million, I man, I don't really care. It's going to be a lot of money. 
and I'll embrace it. It's not my money, right? The money that the Packers paid to Preston and Zedaria Smith, that's not my money, right? The money that the Bucks paid to Chris Middleton, that's not my money. I'm not in, I'm not in the business of saving Mark Murphy money or, 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 or Wes Eden's money or Mark Lazary money. I'm not in the business of saving Mark Atanasio money. It's not my money. It's going to cost a lot of money to save you guys, Marty Grandall. I don't care. 608-796-2558. Let's go to the five-star telecom talking text line. Caller, we're talking Brewers. Yasmani Grandal, what's up? What do you think? Hey, man. Uh, Darren, big-time Brewer fan, uh, long-time listener. Thanks, Darren. Um, I say keep Grandal. Yeah. Uh, keep Grandal. Absolutely. Got to find a way to sign him. He uh, played a lot of games. Uh, he was, what, top three in the National League in walks? Yes. Um, that's... That's big time. You got to keep that bat there. You got to also remember that Yelich is—he's uh, going to be a free agent too after three years. So you're talking big money. Um, but do what it takes to keep him. What are you going to do with Shaw too? Dump him. Yeah. You got to find a way to keep uh, Mustaka. So Ananasio and his group—they know there's a way to keep him there. The fan base is there. You put three million people through the gates this year. Yes. How do you do that? You spend the money. And at ten bucks for a beverage, you know that they're there. So <laughs> the money's uh, there. You bet. You gotta keep him. You gotta keep him. Yeah, I agree, Darren. I, I I appreciate the phone call. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Call back. Do not. Don't be a one-time caller. Don't be that guy. Right. I love having calls. I love having conversations on the show, and I appreciate it. Six zero eight seven nine six two five five eight. I mean, the fans are there. You're 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 absolutely right. There's one thing to to be said about the Brewers versus some other teams, other smaller market. Teams, and I'm not going to call Miami a small market, but for all intents and purposes, it is in this conversation, right? You want to talk about Seattle or Cincinnati? Teams that aren't metropolises, but they necessarily aren't as small as Milwaukee. The Brewers put fans in the seats. Brewers put people through the turnstiles, as, as that last caller, as Darren said, right? People through the gates, people in the seats. There's interest. And as long as you pay money and bring in good players and keep it exciting, Brewers on deck event that'll happen early, early in the spring, right? Where, where there's still snow on the ground. Do you want Yasmani Grandal there? Or do you or do you want Travis Shaw, right? Do you want Yasmani Grandal or do you want Jacob Nottingham? Because fans are going to be excited and willing to spend money and be involved in one, not so much in the other. Not so much in the other. And I appreciate the phone call. We got to move on. We got to talk about the Bucks. Uh Inferno Orange has been... Uh, texting me condolences from what happened last night. If you listen to yesterday's show, you'll know that last night's Bucks loss to the Celtics killed me uh, in so many ways. And I am angry because it's the Celtics, and I'll explain. But I'm actually not panicking yet. I'm actually not bent out of shape. I need to see a little bit more, and I'll explain why. And it dates back to last year. It dates back to last year. I'll explain why I'm not panicking yet. Coming up next, this is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills, and I hate dressing up for Halloween, so I thought this is the least I could do, right? Happy Halloween. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're talking about a very scary, spooky, terrifying Bucks loss from last night. They blew a big lead uh, against the Celtics, just like they did the other night against the Heat. Unfortunately, getting used to it this way. Uh, four games through now in the Bucks season. They're 2-2. Two and two. Let's not act like things are all bad. They're 2-2. Two and two. 
could be a lot worse. They could be 1-3. and three. They could be 0-4, right? Four games in, there's not a lot of possibilities. It could always be uh, a lot worse. And I'm not here to freak out about the Bucks today, although last night's loss annoyed me to no end. Right? I actually turned it off. I turned it off midway through the fourth quarter. I didn't watch the end. I followed it along on my phone. Right? If it would have gotten close, I would have thrown it back on, but I could read the writing on the wall. I, I turned it off. I said, well, let's just watch the World Series. Let's focus on the World Series. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I hate Boston more than I hate most things in life. I hate the Celtics more than I hate most things in life. And Marcus Smart absolutely drives me up a wall. Absolutely drives me up a wall. And watching the Bucks blow that lead uh, to the Celtics last night was not good for my blood pressure. was not good for my health for more. So I turned it off. And we start the show today. Uh, and Inferno Warren shoots me a text on the five-star telecom talking text line. says, Grant thought of you last night. Uh, your Boston Celtic anguish you must have been going through with the Bucks game. I was happy I could take out my frustrations on the pumpkins I was carving. Uh, Inferno, that would have been a more healthy coping mechanism uh, to grab a pumpkin and to start carving rather than to grab a glass uh, and start drinking. So I'll keep that in mind next time the Bucks are playing the Celtics. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate you thinking of me last night. My blood pressure was so damn high. So welcome back to Bucks season, right? This is This is what I do, right? I get angry. I get mad, I yell, and I annoy my roommates, and, and they worry about my, my state of mental health. But that's all part of NBA basketball. That's part of the fun. Part of the fun, right? The Bucks should have won last night's game. I, I think that much is, is obvious. Uh, they were up 17 points at half, right? This is the second 15-point-plus uh, lead they have blown through four games. The other lost two losses to the Celtics, to the Heat. One, a 16-point lead at half. The other, a 17-point lead. And when I say the Bucs should have won this game, I, I don't say it because I'm a Bucks fan and I wanted them to. I'm saying they had a lot of things go their way. Early, they had a lot of things go their way early, given, but still great opportunities to win. Number one, Giannis had another triple-double last night. Or excuse me, not a, not a triple-double. A double-double. He had 13 rebounds uh, and 22 points. Let's not shake our head at five assists. He also had a steal and two blocks. He was great. Now, the Celtics did a great job of limiting him offensively, did a great job of limiting offensively and forcing the Bucks to score in other ways. The Bucks also won the bench scoring margin 37 to 8. 37 to 8. Celtics had eight bench points. Three points from Semi Ojale, two from Greg Williams, Grant Williams, my bad, illustrates my point. And two from Williams the third. Sorry, Carson Edwards knocked in a free throw. Pretty insignificant. Pretty insignificant players, right? Meanwhile, the Bucks bench, they're pretty good. 37 points. Seven from Urson, including one of the more nasty step-back threes I've ever seen Urson hit. <laughs> Maybe the only step-back three I've ever seen Urson hit. Robin Lopez had a three. George Hill had 12. He's been really, really solid. Pat Connaughton had six, although was not ultimately effective. He was pretty ineffective last night in 21 minutes. Kyle Korver added nine points as well. Bucks had a lot of things go their way last night. Giannis with the double-double, not the triple-double, as I mistakenly said earlier, right? It's not exactly a, it's not exactly a, a hard difference to, to see. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, enough of that. Blew a huge halftime lead again after they did it against the Heat the other night. And, and I should be really upset, and last night I was. Don't get me wrong, as I told Inferno Orange. Should have carved pumpkins instead of carving up a, a bottle of something into my glass. But I'm not freaking out. I'm not panicking on the season yet. And I know it's a horrifying trend blowing huge leads at half. Bear with me. I don't think it's a big deal. And I think this is an adjustment the Bucks are going to have to make this year. And it goes back to last year. 
goes back to last season, 2018. If you'll remember last year, the Bucks were blowing teams out. They were crushing them. Right? They would get up on these big leads. They would come out at halftime, have a great third quarter to basically end the game. Right? They'd be leading at half. They'd go into halftime. They'd get even better because they reacted and responded constantly throughout the entire season so well to Coach Budenholzer. They'd come out in the third. They'd pour it on opponents, and the game would be over. Hit them with huge third quarter runs. Huge third quarter runs. And it would end the game effectively with 10, 12, 15 minutes left on the clock. Now, I'm not saying that this isn't possible for the Bucks this year, but they're going to have to go about it differently. They're going to have to do some things differently. They're going to have to adjust. Last year, the Bucks' margin of victory was 8.87 points. It was almost 9 points. Now, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. It is. That was best in the league last year, by far. 8.87. Best in the league margin of victory. And, and I I partially think, and, and this is an observation, right? This is almost an assumption on my part. I don't have any statistics to back this up. I haven't talked to players, coaches, obviously. This is just, this is my opinion. I think the Bucks may have slightly gotten used to teams laying down on them in the third quarter. The Bucks got so used to playing well in the first half, going into halftime, making adjustments, and with one big knockout run, one 10-2 run, 15-3 run, to start the third quarter, the game was done. And these opposition would call off the dogs, would say, all right, we're going to play for another day, we're going to rest our stars, best players, and we're going to take the cell and move on to tomorrow night. I think the Bucks got in this pattern of hitting teams with that big third quarter run, ending the game, and having teams essentially lay down on them. That didn't happen in the postseason in game one with Boston. They adapted very quickly and went on to crush them swiftly in five games. I think the Bucks are going to have a little bit more issue with that this year. I don't think teams are going to lay down for them. Because I think when Milwaukee goes to Houston or goes to Miami, or host Cleveland, or host Boston. You're going to get team's best shot. Every single night. That's something Golden State had to figure out how to play through. Something LeBron obviously has played through his entire career. You're going to have to learn how to absorb opponents' best shot. The reigning MVP, Eastern Conference finalist, right? Teams are going to come in and want to make a statement by beating you. Or, or invite you into their arena and want to make a statement by beating you. Same thing. Teams aren't going to lay down. They're not. Last year, ah, all right, we can take an L to Milwaukee. It's it's not on national TV. Nobody's going to talk about it. We'll rest our stars. We'll play for another day. I don't know if we're going to see that a whole lot this year. And I think the Bucks are going to be better than 98% of the teams they play on 98% of the nights they play. And I have no doubt that they aren't capable of beating the Celtics or the Heat, two teams they've blown large leads to this year. No doubt. But they're going to have to do it differently. They're going to have to take a slightly different approach, and they're going to have to be a little bit more resilient because it's going to take more than one big knockout punch of a run in the third quarter to win games. Teams aren't going to lay down. Teams aren't going to say, okay, fine, wave the white flag. Because you have the reigning MVP. You have the reigning coach of the year. You have a brand new arena. You're an Eastern Conference finalist last year. Teams are going to give you their best shot, and the Bucs are going to have to learn to be a little bit more resilient and close games a little bit better because their margin of victory is not going to be over eight and a half points this year. It's just not. Teams are going to teams are going to try much harder to try to beat them. Because you know when things aren't going well in Denver, things aren't going well for Utah and Salt Lake City. All it takes is one big statement win against Milwaukee 
And all of a sudden, that coach is feeling better. Star players are feeling better. Back on top of the world, right? Teams are going to give Milwaukee their best punch. And Coach Bud and Giannis have to learn how to deal with that and learn how to win games in a slightly different fashion than they did last year, which is going to take some time. And I think that, in part, is a big reason why we see the Bucs uh, blow two of their first four games, even leading by double digits at halftime, 15-plus points at halftime. I also th- think these first couple of losses do have a positive side, and, and, and I agree. Inferno Orange texts in on the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. He said this loss, and losses like it, forces Coach Bud to figure out how to create points when the defense is taking Giannis out of his normal game. They will need that skill set once they get into the playoffs because every team will do that. I could not agree more. It's like the Packers who are currently learning how to score points without Devontae Adams. When Giannis is a little bit in a funk or is being defended very well, how are you going to score? How are you going to play through Middleton or Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez? Because let's be real. Let's be 100% real. Brad Stevens is not going to look to defend the Bucs straight up in the playoffs. Nick Nurse, right, Brett Brown are, are not going to look at the Bucs and say, well, let's play him straight up. Best team wins, right? No, they're going to say, how can we take Giannis away? Force anyone else on that roster to beat us. And the Bucs are going to have to learn how to play through that. And I think these first couple of games uh, have been a good learning experience, although I'd much prefer the Bucs be 3-1 and or 4-0 and because there's 83 games, 82 games, excuse me, to learn and to figure out before the postseason starts. When we come back, last chance to talk for the week. I, I want to talk about the Packers' upcoming game in Los Angeles. It's a really interesting scenario. Aaron Rodgers had some funny comments about it. Uh, and I also want to talk about what the most under uh, underrated story the most underrated story for the Green Bay Packers this year is. Haven't talked about them, and they have been tremendous. we got to talk about that. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show for the week. Coming up next, you're listening to WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I, I have to admit, I'm not a huge Halloween person. Not a huge costume guy. I feel corny even using Halloween music, but I feel like it's the least I can do. Happy Halloween. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Packers. They're playing in Los Angeles this upcoming weekend. I- I'm going to call them the San Diego Chargers at least a couple of times here in the next eight minutes. So you're going to have to excuse me. It just it, it still doesn't fit Los Angeles Chargers. And it's going to basically be a home game for Green Bay, right? If you have not watched any ounce of NFL football other than Green Bay Packers games this year, haven't been paying attention. Well, let me kind of explain to you. The Pittsburgh Steelers played in L.A. Uh, Pittsburgh and Green Bay, I think very similar fan bases, right? A couple of weeks ago, I don't remember if it was Sunday Night Football or Monday Night. I think it was it was some primetime game, or it was some game that I was watching, at least, which means it's a pretty good bet it was a primetime game. Because uh, I'm not paying for Sunday NFL ticket or whatever that is, $25 a month. No, sir. Um, but the Steelers fans completely took over the StubHub Center, which is a stock, uh, soccer stadium. That's where the Chargers play. The Los Angeles Chargers, that's where they play. Uh, and, and it was all Steelers fans. It, and, it, and I almost felt bad for the Chargers and the Chargers fans. I almost felt bad. That's how bad it was. Aaron Rodgers was asked about it. Uh, the idea that they're essentially going to have a home game this upcoming weekend. I just talked to you know a station out there that they're expecting you know three quarters green and gold. So... That'd be uh, that'd be nice. I'm sure it's tough for the home team as they wait for their stadium to be built to, you know, have a, uh, you know, those home games be 
more like road games when a team like Green Bay comes to town. Uh, we played in Qualcomm back in 11, and as we were up 45-38 late in that game, I remember Phil was having to go silent count because our fans were so loud. I remember walking on the field uh, in pregame and heard this absolute roar coming from my left and and couldn't believe the noise from the Packer fans. You know, we our fans obviously travel really well. It, it, it's, it's interesting, right, because the Packers have played in a couple of venues, at least in the last calendar year, where, where Packers fans have traveled really well, right? Kansas City last weekend. Kansas City, outside of New England, is right now the most exciting team in the AFC. They're probably, the with a healthy Patrick Mahomes, best option to make the Super Bowl behind New England, right? Their fans are into it. They have an MVP quarterback who's just beginning his career, hasn't even began to sniff his prime yet. Right, there's every reason in the world for Kansas City fans to be passionate and to be selling out that stadium. You could hear Packer fans last week. Did you notice it? There were a lot of Packers fans in Kansas City. And I think part of that is Kansas City is just it's a it's a place very much like Green Bay. Right? I think Kansas City is a place where if I had to go to a road game, I'd love to check out Arrowhead. I'd love to go see Kansas City, right? And part of that is is the nature of the small town of Kansas City. But last year, Packers played in the in the Coliseum, in the LA Coliseum when they when they visited the Rams. There were so many Packer fans there. Once again, a team who ended up making the Super Bowl last year, who had every reason for fans to be 100% into it, for selling out games, and you could still hear the presence of Packers fans. Now, I'm, I'm not I'm not Packer fanboying and saying that the Packers are the only fan base that travels like this, right? But it is going to be a home game at the StubHub Center for the Packers on Sunday. It just is. Except it's going to be in warm weather, which is actually kind of nice. I, I think the stadium... Uh, I think the stadium only holds around 20,000 people. It's a big soccer stadium, a small football stadium. Think of it that way. It's a beautiful facility, but not exactly meant for a full-sized NFL game. And they're talking 70 to 75% Packers fans this upcoming weekend. Which is going to make life a lot easier on the Packers and a lot easier on their offensive line. Which, look, in my opinion, I think the the offensive line of the Packers is the most underrated story of the team so far to this year. Up until this point. And we talk about Bakhtiari and Bulaga. They get their due, and Corey Lindsley, for the most part, gets his due, too. Right? The two anchors, and then the middle of the offensive line. But it's been the guards who've been talked about a little bit less, right? Billy Turner is probably one of the the bigger, more physical offensive linemen who actually probably pretty good option to run behind compared to Bakhtiari and Bulaga and Lindsley, who are a little bit more athletic. They like to get him in space, prioritize pass blocking a little bit more. But Elton Jenkins, man... Elton Jenkins, I, I wish we, sh- we should just have a segment every week on Elton Jenkins. He is looking like one of the best rookies out of this class so far. And don't get me wrong, like like Nick Bosa is putting up absurd numbers, right? And, and um, well, I can't think of it. Kyler Murray's been great, right? There, there have been good players this year. Don't get me wrong. Josh Jacobs has been tremendous. And they're all putting up tremendous stats. But as an offensive lineman, you're not really beholden to statistics, at least the most traditional box score type statistics that lead to fantasy football. Elton Jenkins has been great. He has slid in behind Lane Taylor. And think about the change in physicality, the step up from college to the NFL, how much bigger, faster, stronger all of those pass rushers and defensive linemen are. Elton Jenkins hasn't missed a beat. He hasn't missed a beat. He has been so great. They are running behind him. And if you watch close up, especially on replays, right? If if Green Bay, Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams has a nice run play up the middle, a nice gap gut run, right? Especially if it's to that left side. Pay attention to Elton Jenkins. And I've seen this a couple of times this year. You don't necessarily need to look at the all 22, the coaches film to, to pick this out. You'll probably see it on a replay or two this Sunday if you're lucky. Pay attention. Elton Jenkins finishes his first block so quickly. 
meaning whatever defensive lineman is his responsibility, he locks up and gets a step on. He finishes that block so quickly that he's able to get into the second level and hit the linebacker to give the running back, whether that's Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, Vitaly, to give them even a little bit more space to operate. And it's not a play, once again, that leads to to fantasy football stats or shows up in a box score. But those types of plays and those types of blocks where Elton Jenkins is able to finish his first block and move on to the next quickly, that's the difference between a three-yard run and an eight-yard run, right? Or a five-yard run and a 10-yard run. And ultimately, as we saw last week in Kansas City, if your only goal is to try to wrap up the game and run out the clock, those are the types of blocks that can make the difference. Those are the type of the blocks that can make the difference. By the way, Alex Light was tremendous stepping in for both tackles last week as well. Uh, I wanted to share this before we say goodbye. Tonight is Halloween. Aaron Rodgers asked uh, about the Packers Halloween party. Who had the best costumes? I think this is pretty funny. I wanted to share before we say goodbye. I did go to a party, and we had a great party the other night with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the guys. Over 50 of the guys attended the party, um, highlighted by Jimmy Graham and, and Nate Weir's, uh, you know, Aaron, Aaron Judge and uh, Altuve. Um, you know, also uh, Tyler Lancaster. Went with uh, Nacho Libre, which was a great look. Um, who else was really good? There were a lot. There were a lot of good costumes. Some guys really didn't bring it, and, and it's disappointing to see that. But uh, Balaga went as myself. He kind of made fun of my uh, my hairy arms and wrists and knuckles. Um, put a lot of time into into that. Him and his wife. His wife dressed up as, as Danica. So that was a good costume as well. And then Elton Jenkins had a really good one, which I won't share because there was some inappropriateness to his costume, but uh, it was very creative. Elton Jenkins was a was a nightstand. He was a one-night stand, by the way, if you can fill in the blanks. Little table, little lamp on the top, maybe a little open bottle of ibuprofen, right? One nightstand. It was funny. I saw a couple of those out last weekend. So lacrosse, you're beating Packers players to the punch. Enjoy Halloween tonight. Enjoy the weekend. Don't forget Holman. At Hartford tomorrow night, listen and stream at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app. I will be there. Drew Kelly will be there. It's going to be a great game, level two of the playoffs. Otherwise, have a great weekend. Talk to you Monday.